Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to review and continue a discussion on willingness versus willfulness when it comes to uh, intervention. But before we jump into that topic, I'd like to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. That's right. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And if you are benefiting from the things you are hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. It's our online membership community, then we would love for you to be a part of that. It's chock full of resources that I know will be helpful to you as you attempt to intervene in cases of domestic abuse from a gospel-centered perspective. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, friends, our question today is a follow-up on episode Number 196, 196, Men of Peace and Willingness. Uh, And this questioner uh, asks, in this episode, you discuss the idea of an abusive man being willing versus willful uh, when confronted with his need for change. How can church leaders discern between true willingness and attempts to deceive, manipulate, or coerce in order to avoid accountability? It's a really good question. And uh, I think it's one that some of us maybe in the work we kind of take for granted. I've heard it said by a lot of folks who have done this work, both on the secular side and on the uh, Christian side of things, the church side of things, that once you get accustomed, like once you see abuse. It's difficult to unsee it. And the idea here is that you know what it is because you know what it is. And so as you kind of get farther down the trail in this work, it becomes a little more difficult to deceive. It's not impossible. Of course, everyone is open to manipulation. That's why we need teams and accountability for ourselves. But it becomes a little bit easier uh, to recognize the more cases that you work. And um, I think that's an important principle to keep in mind. However, it is something that we hear quite a bit. It's like we think, you know, he's genuinely repentant, but how can we be sure? We think he's just blowing smoke at us, but how can we be sure? You can never be 100% sure. Um, You can never know for certain what circumstances or situations or choices are going to come into the future that are going to affect an individual's heart and volition and invite them maybe into uh, re-offending or harming or re-victimizing. And so um, nothing is happening with certainty in this work. But when we talk about willing versus willful, and that's a a terminology that my friend Leslie uh, coined, or at least she was the first one I heard talk about it. And I think it was a very accurate description of what we kind of see, which is an individual who is willing to engage in a process of change, one, willing to accept the consequences of their behavior, two, and willing to give up control to allow their partner to maintain agency 
uh, and decision-making, three, versus someone who is willful, which can be outright obstinance. It can be open resistance. Um, it, it can be attempts to control the narrative or the process. Um, or it can even be individuals who uh, attempt to comply. And this is what the questioner is asking today. Attempt to comply to the requests in order to regain their status, their position, um, or the the nature of the relationship. I think that's what the questioner is getting at. So I, I think for most of us, we we understand the distinction between the receptive individual versus the obstinate individual. And, and I will say that there's several categories here. My friend Greg Wilson does a really good job talking about these categories of, of someone who's open to change, someone who's resistant or reluctant to change, and then uh, someone who is who's downright hostile to change. And I would hope we, we can see uh, hostility pretty clearly. But I, I do want to talk about that for just a second. So let's just park in the willful category for just a minute because I think it's important for church leaders not just to understand the subtle aspects of hostility, but even the overt aspects of hostility, because I know I've been affected by this, and I know some of you have been affected by this, and that's when an individual, when confronted, immediately turns to a defensive posture or perhaps even an attacking posture. And for some church leaders, this is very unsettling. I think that's maybe the best word to, to, to describe it. We are, many of us, accustomed to conflict resolution. We're accustomed to being heard, um, to even having our wisdom sought out. And so when we confront an individual, and we, we do it well, like we do it as biblically as we think we're supposed to do it, with gentleness and patience, kindness and compassion, and then we're met with a defensive or an even an attacking posture, it can be a bit unsettling to us. Um, and it can put us on our heels. And so one of the willful approaches is just outright hostility, uh, which often looks you know, like denial would be a big part of that, minimization, blame. Those are usually kind of outright uh, approaches of, of willfulness. Um, this is not that big of a deal. You are being deceived. You're being lied to. Um, you don't understand outright denial, which would, this didn't happen. This is false or blame. You know, it's, it's really her fault. It's a substance fault. It's my work fault or pastor. It's your fault. You're, you're the one who's making a mountain out of a molehill. So, you know, minimizing and then blaming you for even addressing the problem. And sometimes outright hostility like that or defensiveness or counterattack, you're the problem and I'm, you know, going to tell everybody about, you know, you're sticking your nose in my business and, um, you know, your, your, um, your church is just a, a busybody meddling, whatever. And, and these exaggerations, this hyperbole, this over the top speech can intimidate and put pastors back on their heels. And so I think we need to be prepared when confronting acts of abuse to be prepared to take that heat, repackage that, and then represent truth and be consistent. Um, and then be prepared to, you know, elicit help 
if we need help. Uh, other aspects of willfulness, you know, not just hostility, but, you know, this idea of reluctance and resistance, that's the more common uh, forms of willfulness that we'll see. Resistance being um, the next, I think, if we're moving from, from right to left, resistance being the idea of, uh, I, I don't need to do what you're asking me to do or reframing the process or the narrative, which is a very popular means of resisting and something I would say is willful. So we've got a, um, we've got an individual that we're confronting and we come to him and we say, okay, Ken, um, you know, we really want to help you with this. And we believe what we're hearing and here's the problem with that. And here's, some biblical solutions that we want to offer. We think you should start this course. It's called Men of Peace. We think you, we, you should meet with um, Pastor Kevin on a weekly basis to process what you're learning in Men of Peace. We would love for you to uh, finish that course as a precursor to being part of a group that's going to process this together. Um, and you and, and Pastor Kevin are going to be working in tandem and working in accountability to see a process of change. And if Ken, I think I called him Ken, if his response to that is, I've got a better idea. Or, you know, we could do that, but this will work even better. And he reframes the process or, or reframes the narrative to be like, rather than me meeting with Pastor Kevin, I think it'd be more productive if I met with Bill, my small group leader, and rather than going through the Men of Peace course, you know, I really think it'd be better if we went through a book on anger. And now he's negotiating the process because he knows better. Um, that's a willful response because what we're hearing now is, I don't want to do what you want to do. I want to remain in control. And that desire for control can be as overt as what I just described earlier, hostility. It can be as overt as trying to take control of the process uh, directly and holistically, or it can be as subtle as just, yeah, I know we agreed on meeting at, um, you know, 5.30 every evening or 6 a.m. every morning, but uh, I want to change that. I think I need to be there at at 6.30 in the evening or 6.30 in the morning. And even just little subtle things of continually changing or wanting to change the time that we meet or the subject matter or the pace at which we work Little attempts to regain control, I think, are evidence of a willful heart. Uh, another piece to the, the, another aspect to the will, willfulness piece is not just the, the means of control, right, through hostility, resistance, or, um, is this idea of reluctance. And that is an individual who will drag their feet. They're just not quite sure this is what they want to do. And some might say, well, Chris, are you saying that's, that's willful? Because he's participating. He's coming to the meetings. He's doing it the way we advised. He's working through the process. And I would say that's wonderful, but how is he working through the process? A reluctant participant is still a participant, which is good, right? And we'll take that. But if their work is half done or it's half-hearted, then the question is not, will you work harder? I think the question then is, why are you doing the work in the first place? What is it that you hope to accomplish through this process. And for many men that are being confronted, the answer will be to get things back to normal. And if that's the answer, to get my relationship back where it needs to be, 
in my mind, right? To restore my marriage. If it's anything short of, you know, to, to self-reflect and to foster repentance and to seek forgiveness and to be reconciled to Jesus, then I think we have to press a little bit deeper because even men who have the good goal of marriage restoration without the better goal, right, of self-confrontation and the addressing of sin and the seeking of forgiveness and the process of repentance will, will revert, will often fail because they're focusing on the wrong target. They're shooting at the wrong target. And so even reluctance in a process can be a form of willful resistance. It's not overt. Um, it doesn't require the same level of intensity where hostility would or even resistance would. A reluctant participant needs encouragement to understand that the way in which you're approaching this process is not benefiting you in the way that you'd hoped. And it's certainly not benefiting your wife in feeling safer or having a safer husband. You know, it's not benefiting me. It's simply, you know, in having me being engaged in more meetings. So setting that standard of reevaluating why we're here, what we hope to accomplish um, is good. And then, of course, with, with open participants, I mean, you've got a guy who is engaged in the process for the right reasons. He's moving forward. Um, he wants to see change. And that's really the heart of today's question. How do I know the difference? Well, outcomes and goals are a big part of that. Going back to that question of what do you want? Now, I, I hesitate to share this on a podcast because I'd hate for an abusive individual to use this information and say, okay, now I know the words to say. Um, but I am confident and hopeful that you as people helpers can discern the difference between what someone says and where, where someone is at the level of the heart. I was just talking to an investigator about this recently, a friend who does uh, sexual assault investigations. And having done thousands of interviews between the two of us uh, with abusive individuals over the years, uh, we both agreed that one of the interesting components is how language is so telling. And that if you're persistent in asking good questions and even taking good notes, if, if, if you can, that most abusive individuals will say what you need them to say. They will give you the information that you're asking, even if they are minimizing, denying, or blaming. Um, questions from his world might be a question like, um, you know, what, what did you, what did you hope to accomplish by texting this young lady? Um, well, I just hope to build a friendship. Well, that's, that's a great answer. I was wanting to build a friendship. But what if I told you he was 45 years old and she was 16 years old? Well, now I've got a whole new line of questioning I can go down because why is a 45-year-old pursuing a friendship in isolation with a 16-year-old? And now I can start pulling that thread, if that makes, makes sense. The same is true with um, abusers in a domestic setting. Um, you know, whose phone did you break? Well, it's my phone. And, and, and why, is it, why is it your phone? Like, how did we determine it's your property? Well, I paid for it. Well, who's the primary user of the phone? And see, it's a different question, right? So 
I broke the phone. I have a right to break the phone because I paid for it. I own it is very different than who's the primary user of the phone, which is, well, I pay the bill, but it's her phone. And what we've done there is just by continuing to be a little persistent, we've gained a little bit more details about his heart. And the same is true with change. The same is true with goals. You know, what is it that you want to see at the end of this process? Like what, what is your hope for learning these principles? When you reflect on this tree model and you see these behaviors that you've acknowledged and these motivations that are fueling them and, and this heart that of, of pride that you're now wrestling with, like what, what's the best next step? What do you hope to see after wrestling with this material, after wrestling with this reality, after wrestling with your sin? And a lot of guys will look at you and say, I, I hope to get my wife back. I hope to see my kids again. And those are good goals, but they're inferior to, um, to the goal of being restored to the Lord, of forgiveness and repentance. And sometimes you'll have a guy, when, when you ask that question, you know, what is your hope for, for this now? Now that you've really wrestled with this reality of your sin and your abuse, what do you hope happens now? And it's like, I, I hope that I can be a safer person. I, I hope that I have the opportunity to seek my wife's forgiveness. You know, what do you hope for her? You know, I, I, I hope the best for her. Would I like to see us get recon, be reconciled? I, I do but I know that I have really messed this up and that decision's up to her. When you hear something like that, the willing lights, right, and banners begin to go off in my head. Okay, this guy seems willing to pursue change for the right reasons. And so goals can be part of that. So, so far we've been reading kind of the, um, the responses. Are, are they hostile? Are they reluctant, resistant? Are they open? That's those initial cues of how we move forward. We, we, we move forward with the open-minded. We roll with the reluctant. We um, re-educate the resistant. And for most of us, we're going to need to uh, discipline the hostile. But for as the process is rolling through, as we're moving closer and more understanding in what's going on in our heart, our mind, and our, our hands, those emotions and cognition and volition, uh, in regards to our sin of abuse, now the question becomes, what is it that you're hoping for? What is it that you're wanting? What's now motivating you to move forward? And those motives will tell us a great deal about the willing versus the willful. It's how, why am I doing this process? Why am I submitting to accountability? Why am I walking through a process of discipleship? And I found that a lot of guys will be, while guarded, and they may attempt to collude or to give the right answer, but enough conversation will fill you in on what their primary agenda is. And then, of course, as you get to the end of uh, an intervention and you're working towards those continued process of discipleship within the local church, then a lot of times it, it's a matter of are we making demands, right? Or are we... Um, vocalizing or voicing desires. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say we, we conducted an intervention and our, our, our fellow was reluctant. We rolled with the reluctance and, 
And as the process moved along, he seemed to move into the open category. There was just a willingness to participate. He, he seemed to acknowledge the depth and breadth of his sin. He was um, willing to participate in some of the transformative uh, acts of repentance and was processing out loud uh, proper motivation. Um, you know, I want to, I want to please God more than I want to live. I, I want to do all things for the glory of God. And he's articulating a really biblical position on heart change. And as we wrap up the process, we are kind of putting a bow on the educational piece and we're going to move into the discipleship piece of the W and continued accountability, um, now involving, you know, restoration being a possible part of that process. And we, we talked to him and congratulate him on finishing. And then he says, so how many weeks until my wife and I are back together? Or so, you know, I did what you guys asked. Now, when are you going to do your end of the bargain? And we move into demanding reconciliation rather than voicing my desire for reconciliation. And, and I hope you see the difference. It's one thing to say, I'd really like to be reconciled with my wife, understanding that I've done great damage through my abuse and acknowledge the impact of that throughout this process. It's a totally different thing to say, I've done the work you've asked me to do. Now I expect you to get on my team, right? And, and get me what I want. And so if demands become part of the, or negotiation comes back into um, the process in the form of high expectations for you as a leader, um, for someone to join me in controlling my wife, then I think we've got a problem as well. Now, some folks will push back on that and say, well, at what point can someone expect their wife to reconcile? Um, expect the process to end. Expect, well, I think that's been part of the dilemma is holding those expectations loosely and reframing them in the concept of God's sovereignty and his love and his timing uh, while honoring the agency and the freedom of one's partner, while recognizing that sin has consequences, while partnering with the elders and church leaders to say God will not be mocked, a man will reap what he sows, and understanding that this distance and discomfort may be part of um, that consequential discipline um, that I have to experience. And again, even articulating that as a team um, is a is evidence of a willingness to surrender. And I guess that's what this all boils down to. I've talked 20 minutes, so I could just say, is the person we're working with surrendered to the heart and the will and the mind and the mission of, of Jesus? Or is that person, by whatever variety of means, continuing to control, continuing to seek, um, to dictate to God what it is that, that he must do um, to make him happy, to make him uh, satisfied, or to give him the resolution that he wants. Well, I know it's not uh, exhaustive. It's not a thorough discussion, but it is a good discussion. I appreciate the question. Uh, take, a, take a moment and go back and listen to episode 196. Maybe follow it up with this discussion and uh, add your own clarity to it. What might be some additional markers of a willing heart uh, that's moving in uh, the right direction, in a direction towards change?
want to thank you guys for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. If you uh, would help us out, if you'd be willing to help us out and you're listening to the podcast on a major platform, would you rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever it is that the platform is asking, let them know that you value the PeaceWorks podcast. All right, friends, thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.